Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to the Sound Iron Production Playground podcast. My name is Craig Peters. Uh, I'm Spencer Nunnemaker. And I'm Nathan Bowler. Today, so we're going to be talking about a few different things, uh, songwriting, uh, different aspects of song production, I guess. Some of the things, well, some of the new things that we've been uh, putting out recently, some of you probably have been hearing about Hyperion Strings Micro which is our newest string library that we just came out with. Uh, if you've been following any of the VI control forums, you've probably been seeing us, uh, you know, hyping it up a little bit and talking about it because we've been, we've been pretty excited about it. Uh, it's something that it's been in the works for a while, but we are finally able to release it. Um, so you've probably been seeing some different content about that. Uh, Spencer, you were there during the, the recording of it. Um, how was it? when you know you were there actually working on it um yeah i mean it was super fun uh very stressful <laughs> long days uh we were recording for like two weeks nonstop, like every day <laughs> a lot of sheets tracking articulations we wanted to get and it was a wild ride for sure yeah i remember seeing some of the clips that you guys were posting and uh i remember i was kind of like "Ooh, this is going to be something to look out for especially with some of the uh I think there was like little little clips of uh, like violent trims and some shrieky little sort of psycho-esque uh, staccatos and stuff like that. So pretty interesting. Um, yeah, we'd usually get those at the end of the day, you know, uh, like after we got the core stuff, like sustains, whatever, then we'd have, you know, some time left at the end and be like, okay, what's some crazy stuff we can come up with? <laughs> what do we want to get? Yeah. That's always stuff that's fun to use too. Just for if you were, you know, want to scare your mom when she's trying to clean the house or something, just play some of those in the background. Yeah, we got some, uh, like, yeah, psycho esque. <laughs> Wait until someone's taking a shower and just crank up your speakers and start playing them really loud. Yeah, that's uh, one way to go with it for sure. <laughs> if you want, yeah, want to pick it up just for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I would. That would be fun. So the micro version, as some of you guys know, um, you know, it's a very simple sort of introductory starter pack, which is what we've been calling it. You know, something that's good for people just trying to get into string writing or, um, you know, that are new to orchestral composition or that sort of thing. Uh, you know, it is limited in certain, you know, round robins and stuff, but that's kind of the point. It's to sort of give you an idea of what, you know, what is in store for the library. Um, there will be an elements, uh, hoping it'll be coming out sometime, if not by the end of the year, sometime, maybe, you know, earlier into next year. Uh, the thing that is going to be an elements that a lot of people are probably wanting in micro is the true legato. And, you know, that's always something that gets, you know, gets a really realistic performance out of strings. So there will be a lot more. In elements, uh, there will be a lot more, you know, varied articulations and stuff like that. So, uh, for any of you guys who are, you know, maybe, maybe on the back end of getting micro, the cool thing about it is that you can apply your purchase toward elements or the full version. So that's right. Yeah, the the full purchase price of micro will just carry on. It's, it's a full upgrade path. So it's it's really it's really friendly. To, to those people who want to get into it, you know, at the lower end. Because uh, Micro is great for laying in for tracks. Like, yeah, it doesn't have the true legato uh, that 
higher upgrades will have, but uh, you can get away with a lot. It's it's really impressive. Uh, and one thing that sets this library apart is the strings were recorded with remarkable presence and detail in the sound. So you can, it's very, it's probably the most shapeable uh, string library I've used where it's really easy to fit in with other libraries. Uh, it's super flexible, great finished sound. Yeah, my favorite part, my favorite part of the uh, Hyperion Micro is the space panel. Um, changing the positioning of the instruments is uh, really helpful. Just changing them in your ears. And we also added a lot of sound design elements to it. So you can apply reverbs and some pretty crazy effects. Most definitely. And, and the demos we've been getting back are just like super stellar. Really, really happy with those. Yeah, there are some really good ones. Well, enough about Hyperion. Um, so, all of us are, you know, songwriters from totally different backgrounds. Yes. And uh, that's one of the cool things I like about working with you guys is that, like, everyone has different musical backgrounds. Everyone kind of does things in their own way. And I thought it'd be cool to talk about sort of our musical backgrounds at first, uh, kind of where we come from. Yeah, get to know us a little. Um, so, Spencer, you went to Berkeley. So how was it like, what made you want to go to Berkeley and sort of what did you get out of the whole experience? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, the Berkeley College of Music in Boston, <laughs> Massachusetts. It's very like jazzy school, you know, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I was pretty young when I signed up for Berkeley. At first I thought I was going to pursue a quote career <laughs> in uh, classical guitar performance, which... So, you know, I started at a conservatory in Miami studying classical guitar and pretty quickly saw the horizon and was like, yeah, I'm, I'm never going to be this level where I'm just nonstop touring all the time. And I'm not sure that's what I would have wanted anyway. Uh, you know, I started writing music while I was there just for fun. I just wanted to capture some ideas and share them with people. Uh, and a friend of mine said he had applied to Berkeley and that I should too, just to see like if I would get in and that's how I did, you know, I did the initial online application probably back in 2008, I think, uh, just to see if they would accept me, you know, kind of as a point of pride. Uh, and I stayed up really late that night doing it and the further and further I got, I was like, whoa, they're going to let me in. Well, I didn't know that, but <laughs> you're feeling yeah, confident. At that point, I was like, "Oh man, I got, I got this." So, you know, I flew up to Boston, did a audition, and got in, and kind of wandered aimlessly through the first two years, I guess. Uh, not sure which direction I wanted to go in, whether it was like traditional, like songwriting, or. Uh, classical composition or sound design or even production or mastering things like that but I settled on film scoring which is what I ended up getting my degree in just because you know it seemed to offer the most opportunity for writing any kind of music I wanted and mm -hmm. there seemed to be actual jobs now I'm not sure I would recommend people go to music school these days just like straight off the bat i wouldn't uh as, as kind of a sound investment but uh 
yeah, you can definitely make it work. Um, they're not, they're not really training you to get a job. They're training you to become an entrepreneur basically. Yeah. And a lot of people don't pick that up by the time they graduate. And so, yeah, I think a lot of people go to school with the thought that I'm going to get a degree and then I'm going to get a job being a composer. And that's not the case. Yeah. There's not many jobs for composer. (laughs) That's for sure. Especially, you know, in the last decade, you know, where we are now, uh, you know, it's kind of been sound iron's mission is to democratize music making, you know, make the tools, available to everybody everybody uh and so yeah that's definitely happened uh there it was going to happen basically you know uh with technology mm-hmm. so it is very competitive these days but i think you know it's a good thing because we're only getting the best of the best yeah that's what's good is your it's the playground has been leveled so it really comes down to how hard you work how hard you uh, work on your craft, work on, you know, meeting people in the industry who are like, and not necessarily just meeting them to, because you, you know, you're trying to, you know, use that dirty word of networking. <laughs> it's like just, you know, meeting people. I mean, just like life, just go out, meet people, have fun, work on your craft, try to get as good at it as you totally. can. And just, you know, keep, keep putting stuff out there. Cause a lot of people think just because you go to school that, jobs are going to come knocking on your door. You're going to figure out really quickly that you need to keep knocking on people's doors twice as hard, <laughs> twice as often. For sure. Because yeah, it, it gets even harder. And the thing is, that's why some people either drop out because halfway they realize that or they graduate and then they're just kind of like, you know, bummed or they just take their knowledge and just get as much lemonade out of the lemon as they can. So, yeah, I mean, when I was in school, older professors would, say things like you know if you can become a successful working composer by the time you're 40 you're doing great yeah (laughs) because yeah you know like any other art form it just takes time to develop and master yeah uh, that's my background uh uh, nathan you also have a formal musical background right yeah i went to lee university uh graduated from there in 2013 and i performed with a, a variety of ensembles like a chorale and um, jazz. I also did some, um, you know, like rock, the typical rock band indie stuff. Um, I've always had like a passion for songwriting of, of many types. Uh, one of my like key moments was watching the movie Avatar yeah james cameron and uh james horner and listening to that score and going people make a living doing this and right (laughs) yeah it was it was you had that realization it was the coolest (laughs) it was the coolest thing ever and then i watched uh glory and realized that james horner had used his own music again for avatar which was is pretty cool i mean i'm uh (laughs) can't blame the guy but um that was a big a big moment for me where I realized that I could write music for a living and um, work work with music, work with music tools, and create a living for myself doing that. That's awesome. Nice. And uh, yeah, Craig, what about you? Mine is way opposite of you guys. I did not go to music school. Uh, 
my road to, I guess, where I'm at now, it really just started because I I grew up listening to metal. You know, like when I was like five years old, I stumbled across Injustice for All and it just changed my life <laughs> for what little life I've already lived. And um, yeah, I just, you know, grew up around a family that listened to a lot of 80s metal. And I was just like, man, this is so cool. But the thing is, I didn't really like from then on want to play guitar it just kind of was something that I liked. I didn't even think about playing guitar. It just, I liked the music. Time went on. Um, you know, I was into other stuff, other hobbies. I used to like art and stuff. But a friend of mine in high school was like, hey, I'm selling my guitar for 80 bucks. <laughs> and I was just like, well, I've actually been kind of thinking it'd be cool. Well, I actually wanted to play drums. A lot of people probably don't know this. They're like, oh, you play guitar. You've always wanted to play guitar. No. Um, yeah, I wanted to be a drummer, but I couldn't get a drum set. So I was like, whoa, $80 guitar. That'll get me doing something got that and just kind of fell in love with it um always been self-taught just kind of learning stuff from old reh guitar videos of like al dimiola and john petrucci frank and bali all those kind of guys so it's just like yeah like i've just always sort of i guess kind of get extreme with things when i get into it i just go kind of head first obsessive yeah yeah it's funny because the same way i feel like yeah you guys can relate and a lot of people who i've met who are you know invested in their instrument like they're all a little bit borderline crazy <laughs> yeah and how they're just kind of like i have to be huh? they you have to be like i feel like any like uh i saw this this uh, was, it, was a bodybuilding documentary about this guy uh, i can't remember his name uh ct fletcher i think is what it was and he was like in order to be proficient in like how I am about bodybuilding, he's like, you have to be obsessed. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, damn, like that kind of carries over into everything. Like if, if you're not obsessed with it, you're really not going to go as far as you could if you weren't a little, you know. Absolutely. Like I've, I've always thought, you know, especially as I get older, that you're, you're just going to be the best at things mm-hmm. you like the most. The more you like it, the more you'll do it, the more passionately you'll throw yourself into it and you'll just you'll end up better at it than other people if you care more and you like you said you have that obsessive quality i think you'll find yourself really excelling at whatever it is as long as you put the work in but the thing is when you like you said when you like it you don't even think about it like when my mom used to be like oh you're practicing guitar for like six hours a day i was just like i was (laughs) oh nice sorry <laughs> but uh yeah i mean of course you know over the years things change maybe like you don't focus like i don't focus on guitar as much as i used to now it's more of like the other aspects yeah. of composition and stuff that's why i'm always picking your brain spencer about four-part writing because uh you know since you did go to school you you're a little bit more um you know knowledgeable about certain deeper aspects of like counterpoint well, and stuff and there's actually a video that you're going to be putting out too for any of you guys listening who uh are subscribed to our youtube channel we've been putting out a lot of stuff with like composition videos or like how to's tips and tricks and stuff and uh it's a really cool one uh spencer i don't know if you want to talk about it uh what you're working uh, on yeah and you know craig and nathan here have also been doing a ton of great content for our youtube channel uh I watch every single one, you know. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, the, the video I'm working on is specifically about taking a piano sketch to a finished large ensemble product. Uh, and pretty much everything in between, it's very ambitious, 
which is why I don't appreciate you bringing it up. Ah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, now you have to do it. Now you well, have to finish yeah, it. Yeah, it's like halfway there. Um, yeah, with the, the strings. You know, we recently recorded some brass, too. It's another thing, like two-week-long at the studio. Uh, and, you know, we've just had a lot going on, so <laughs> need to get yeah. back to it. But, yeah, taking a piano sketch to finish product, uh, like I'm, I'm not recently out of school. So most of the things I quote know are just things I was taught in school that I've kind of internalized and, you know, now I think about them differently, not so formally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just kind of explain my th- thought process and like shorthand way of thinking of things, uh, to get there. Yeah, it's, for me, it's always cool just to pick other people's brains as far as how they go about doing things like, uh, like you know, kind of like what DAWs they use or, or you know, how do they get out of certain... Like, writer's block is a very... It's, it's an interesting topic because it's kind of like, does it exist? Is it just your mind playing tricks on you? Do you need to just put your instrument away, you know, go watch TV or or you know, go to the gym or do something to get your mind off of it. And then you, you know, get a, do something to change your perspective. That's the thing. Like you, that, you know, that's usually what I do when I get stuck doing anything. Uh, I've just learned to step away, um, and think about it, kind of let those ideas marinate in your brain while you go about daily life. And most of the time when you come back with fresh ears or eyes or whatever, you know, you're doing it'll just it'll be fresh it'll be you'll have more ideas i think there are two things that really help with writer block writer's block um one of them is deadlines yeah uh mm-hmm. just like either setting deadlines for yourself where you have to finish it by a certain hour a certain day uh or you know having other people who are setting deadlines for you whether that's a director or a producer or your boss deadlines are mm-hmm. great uh to write in bold on your calendar and say this has to get done today no matter how i'm feeling about it and then the other thing that kind of goes along with that is discipline um one of my favorite quotes basically says i get inspired or i only write when i'm inspired luckily i get inspired every day at 9 a.m and <laughs> i just love that quote because it it applies to my life so much i used to to only write when I had an idea or when I had something in my brain that I had to get down. And since pursuing music as a profession, it's much more a matter of fact of sitting down at the computer or at the keyboard and playing until you have something that you can work with. And so I I don't get writer's block and I tell people that a lot. And it's not a, a point of pride by any stretch. It's, it's more of a, I am disciplined more than inspired. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. It's a very good point. You know, there's something to be said for preparation, too. I find uh, it helps to kind of have a structure in place to guide you and a goal to measure your progress against. Uh, So I might spend some time, you know, if I had a big project, like some big orchestral score type thing, I was commissioned to do, then I might spend the first day not even writing a single note, 
uh, and it'd be a full day of just, okay, what are these points I need to hit? You know, these, these cues, how should it feel? Uh, cause when you set a goal like that, like, okay, right here, it should feel this way. It gives you something to measure yourself against. Like, am I, am I doing this? Is, am I, is it feeling this way? Uh, aside from just kind of winging it, uh, which there's yeah. something to be said mm-hmm. for that too. I, my whole process pretty much boils down to outlining a structure that I can, or a scaffolding that I can uh, refer to and check myself on, but leaving myself lots of room for chaos and improvisation and like curating the chaos, basically. Like, you know, <laughs> like that. sometimes I'll turn on a random music generator type thing or make something like that in reactor or something uh and just like listen see if a little motif sticks out at me and oftentimes some of my best ideas have have come from doing stuff like that Uh, i think i think it's important to note as well that the the art forms all kind of work together they all coincide so as you were saying spencer like if you take a day and you listen to one of your favorite albums or you watch a TV show or you listen to a score that you haven't heard yet or you're looking at visual art at a museum, those all kind of coincide to help you with your creation. Totally. And um, especially like the last three or four years, I've kind of put music in my back pocket uh, as I explore other interests like uh, the visual arts and one big thing I always hear is something about your uh, your visual library is mm-hmm. something you have to draw on and it's just the basic idea is the more stuff you expose yourself to and bring into your brain when it's creation time when you're sitting down blank sheet of paper uh, you have more in your library, quote, to draw on. It's that same concept. And it's funny, there's so many parallels between the visual arts and, and music. Yeah, I feel like a lot of crafts, when you really start to look at them, they're all sort of similar in their own way. Like, like you can get as in-depth with it as you want, or you can just sort of have fun with it. Like, eh, like, like art. Like, I, I just like to scribble around. I'm not really, you know. But it's, it's fun. It kills the time. But then there's people who, you know, like you, Spencer, who get way, uh, way in-depth with it and, like, really, you know, start to understand the science behind you know, colors and light and stuff like that, which I find. And really I could go on forever I'd, about all of those things. <laughs> I, I, I know. Just don't say a color name or this podcast is going to turn into. Four Did you guys time. know about the origins of alizarin crimson? Like, let's talk about it. Alizarin crimson. Crimson. Yes. That's going to be the next, uh, the name of my next album. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with the whole deadlines thing because for, for me, like personal experience, like uh, I, I went on this journey of trying to work on a solo album <laughs> and it was sort of like, because I, I, before this, I never wrote a whole song. I was just always like, yeah, I'll write a few things, kind of riff off other people. And I was like, oh, this is cool, you know, work on a song, you know, in a band context and working on the solo thing was kind of a big challenge on myself to like not only one like write a whole song but try to write a whole album like do all the lyrics the vocals 
you know, record everything, program everything. It was kind of like, okay, I'm just going to try and do it. Did you do it? Yeah, I did. Nice, uh, man. Congrats. I know thanks. that's really hard. Like personally myself, I've had a lot of trouble, you know, with music finishing things. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm much happier to fully flesh out like 30 seconds of orchestra or symphony stuff than to do like you know an hour and a half of it <laughs> yeah it's it's really daunting when you like when you're just sitting and then you think of the idea like some sometimes people you know they just think about it like yeah i want to like like i want to make a movie okay and then you start looking at like what it takes to make a movie and you're just like you know i don't maybe i'll just make a short film or something yeah like, <laughs> like you start to realize like there's so much that goes into it and the thing about the what nathan was talking about the deadlines thing like that i can really agree to because when it was like okay now i need to start you know finishing and wrapping stuff up like or i need to track vocals this day or or whatever like i would i would set it on a calendar okay song four track the vocals and then like third you know the next day then i would like edit the vocals you know so i had to like if not i'll just put it off because i think about the process like oh man it's gonna take forever yeah (laughs) right yeah so if i don't set a deadline it's probably not going to get done because i'm just going to think about it and i think some people they they analyze the process too much and then they just don't do it i think that's kind of a common problem that a lot of <laughs> creators have whether it's anything a lot of people they you know they spend eight hours on youtube trying to learn how to do it versus just doing it or and just trying it out like i'm just going to figure out how my doll works like no i'll just sit on the computer and i'm going to learn how to do this which is important <laughs> But you have to learn you're, and apply. You're hitting me apply, deep, I think, Craig. Ah. <laughs> that is me, it's, especially with art. Uh, like, I will totally spend, like, two or three hours a day just watching tutorials or time lapses of people doing art. But if you ask me, how often do you actually, like, sit down and draw or paint? Not nearly as much as I should or would like to. <laughs> sometimes sometimes watching other people do it can like take away your creativity to do it yourself though so that it feels like you it feels like you did something yeah that's an interesting point yeah it's a false sense of success right you're all my my craving has been satiated by visually watching someone else do it (laughs) pretty much That's why I like guys like Gary Vee who talk about the whole, like, like don't watch me talk about it because I think people watch motivational guys and they get all pumped up like, yeah, like I'm going to go out and start a business. And then, you know, they get that sort of endorphin rush from just watching someone be all pumped up about something. <laughs> and then they just it just kind of dies away. You know, it's like they got their emotional, uh, emotional pump, so to speak. And then they're just kind of it, they let it die off. But it it's it really comes down to just sort of you know, being a, a doer mm-hmm. instead of a just, you know, a watcher sort of thing. But at the same time, watching or listening, like, like I, I, I'm always curious at uh, the idea of orchestral composition and I'm always listening to scores like film scores, video game scores. I do that more than I actually try to write orchestral scores. That's kind of my problem. That's why I was sort of talking about it because it, it, there's so much that goes into it. I still think there's something to get out of, being around something all the mm-hmm. time like either listening to it or watching it I, I still think there's something to benefit from absolutely but at the same time at the same time you have to kind of say like okay i'm just going to turn this off and do something now because it's easy to just kind of 
get sort of caught up in that one of my favorite filmmakers on instagram is uh his name's <laughs> jesse driftwood and he makes like instagram stories for businesses and he's just this canadian filmmaker and he's amazing and uh i watched an instagram nice. live with him one time and someone asked him how do you have time to make these stories because you make these just like super high quality um cool edited stories and he said well to be honest the time that you spend consuming content i spend making content mm. so i don't like nice. i don't scroll instagram and i was just like oh my gosh like Man. my mind was blown call the burn unit on that guy <laughs> <laughs> you just got burned yeah uh yeah i mean this is me what we're just <laughs> you're convicted yeah. i'm 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 guilty you're of getting it too. saved I'm, today i'm guilty of it too but uh well wh what does do you guys use because i know we all sort of have different workflows as far as what we use for um the actual uh, you know getting sounds or or programming for like the different demos and stuff or music that we write uh, what do you what do you guys use as far as daws go i started um my adventures in recording on Pro Tools 7 and then uh, got Logic 8 and fell in love with Logic for, for MIDI purposes and did the whole Logic 9, Logic X thing. And uh, when I started working with Soundiron, I got onto Reaper. Yeah. And I've been trying to compose more with MIDI on Reaper. We, we spend most of our time actually with real audio. Um, but I'm trying to I'm trying to learn the MIDI side of it now. So it's a mix, but typically it's either Logic X or Reaper. Oh, interesting. Nice. Uh, I use Bitwig, which is maybe not so well known. Like in school, they started us on Logic, I think. Um, mm. Which version? I don't know. I think they had the same version for like ten years or something, didn't they? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, they had Logic Pro Nine for about nine yeah. years. So, and then they finally came out. I think out with it X. was that. Um, I haven't used it in a while because you know at Berkeley they were all on Apple computers. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know I liked that. And then when we started doing more film scoring stuff, we switched to Digital Performer, which has a lot of tools built in specifically for like writing music to picture. You know, much like mm -hmm. other DAWs do now. I know Logic does and Cubase and all that. I'm sure mm -hmm. even Reaper does. Uh, by the way, Reaper yeah. Reaper is great. Uh, we use it for editing editing at work. Um, but, I mean, man, for the price and what it can do, you just cannot beat it. But, um, yeah, I, I gravitated towards Bitwig. I mean, yeah, that's what I was saying. I've used pretty much all of them uh, at some point for, like, at least a year or a couple of years. Uh, what do you like about Bitwig more well, than other DAWs you've used? Or why you choose to use it more often? Like a few years ago, it was it was time for some upgrade. You know, I don't know what prompted it. Just like all my stuff was super janky and old. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I started looking around at the options. And I heard about this new software that was coming out. And it was made by ex-Ableton employees. And I had used Ableton like before. I never really used it a lot, but I did kind of like the thought process 
that goes into how like you might construct a track with it with a like little clips like that was cool to me even though i ended up so bitwig has the same thing but i ended up never using it <laughs> like the chunks feature is i don't know what it about? is you can you can define like certain you know bars will just loop you know it's like making music with loops that you make i don't know oh, okay i never use it but so you know and it there was some intro price for bitwig that was really tempting compared to all the other options so i got that and what i like most about bitwig is how streamlined everything is because you know, coming from something like Digital Performer, which if you know it and are familiar with it, holy crap, is it daunting just to mm -hmm. look at. I mean, all the stuff in it. Like, yeah, you can do a lot, mm -hmm. but I was uh, I was finding all that stuff just kept getting in the way of the creative process. Uh, so I was looking for yeah. something really, you know, just for me, uh, something really streamlined and straightforward and simple, easy to use. Uh, and it had a lot of other nice features, like um, it has a, God, I don't know what it's even called, but it has a lot of built-in like modulation and synth rack type things that you find in Ableton. So you can do crazy sound, des sound design stuff for it. I think Ableton and Bitwig are probably the best platforms for just doing crazy sound design i mean it's nothing you can't do hmm. in any other DAW. it's just it's right there and i don't like thinking about it a lot so <laughs> yeah something to just allow you to get creative quickly i think is always you know it's it's kind of it's kind of like when it comes to DAWs. there's always this um you know which DAWs better and it doesn't matter it's just like it's just your preference anything, you know yeah you know what you know what uh, uh I was watching Misha Mansour talk about this and he was saying it's kind of like a language. Like what language can you speak more fluently? You know, like maybe, you know, you use Cubase and you can speak really fluently in that. But then when it comes to logic, you're like, I understand it, but I'm not as quick with it as maybe another DAW. So, it's, you know, it just whatever allows you to, you know, whatever program you use that is like an extension of you that can just allow you to get things done, like you said. So it doesn't really matter. And that's what I think is really cool. And you know, not sitting on your computer for nine hours looking at what does the best, like just, you know, like for me, the reason I, I gravitated toward Cubase is because I was using Logic Pro 9 forever and eventually they just weren't updating it anymore. And then they were coming out with Logic Pro X and then I started watching people using Cubase. Well, the, the first uh, or actually second studio I ever recorded in, the engineer was using Cubase and he was just, I mean, he was a wizard when it came to Cubase. Um, not to say that there's anything like, oh, like something magical about Cubase. He was just really good with it. And I was just like, wow, like, you know, that seems really cool because he was doing the slip editing stuff, which you can do in Reaper. And uh, I think there's some other DAWs that do that too. And I thought that was really cool. And just like the way that you can use group group tracks, VCA faders and all this stuff in Cubase. I was just like, like everything about it in MIDI. I was just like, I think I really want to, try Cubase out because I was kind of over Logic. I didn't really want to make the jump to Logic Pro X. I kind of wanted to do something different mm -hmm. and uh, no, nothing against Logic Pro X. Like I think if I didn't use Cubase, that's probably what I would use. Um, I just kind of wanted to sort of get away from Logic 
but since I've been using Cubase, I love it. Um, there's always so much stuff to learn. I kind of use it for what mm-hmm. I need, but I really like the whole like aspects of like the the macro feature and how you can use it with like Cubase IC Pro for you know MIDI control or um, just like big macro features as far as like getting stuff done quickly too, like batch exports and all that. Yeah, kind of stuff. that that stuff's always um, great. Uh, what do you guys think about like? Do you mostly compose using MIDI, you guys? Because that's where I'm weird. You know, I use. Oh yeah, you use waves, right? Like a lot of like like audio waves. Like I'll I'll use a virtual instrument to set it up and like get the sound, but then I'll usually like bounce it down to audio. So I'm just so comfortable at this point manipulating audio. Uh, like I started, you know, doing editing and stuff in Pro Tools. And like I was just doing so much with audio, it just always—I mean—it started to feel faster for me to just mm-hmm. be like, ah, man, you know, because pretty much that thing I was saying about the creative process and things getting in the way, like that—that kind of defines me. Like I can't have anything getting in the way, or else it just throws me off. Like you know, mm-hmm. my last semester of school, way back when, you know, I remember working on these huge projects with like 200 tracks or something and these giant like big templates we had to set up with like a slave computer and, and everything. And, oh, you know, nice. it'd be like one in the morning and this thing is due tomorrow and then something would stop working or there'd be some weird glitch and I'd have to restart the computer and it would take like an hour <laughs> to load everything into memory again. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that'll get oh, it's just killing me. <laughs> like, I was in the zone. Screw this. So <laughs> it actually kind of changed the direction I took with music. Like, I, I spent all this time getting my degree in film scoring, graduated, and then was immediately like, oh, yeah, that's not really what I want to do, I guess. <laughs> like, I don't want people telling me <laughs> what to write and what not to write. That's just my personality. You know, a lot of people shine in situations like that, and I, I just don't. Um, but yeah, I, I felt anything that was getting in the way screwing me up. So yeah, I'll I'll bounce things down to audio a lot, uh, based off of MIDI. Uh, but I mm-hmm. guess you guys mostly use MIDI, right? I mean, there's yeah, I think most of the time I use MIDI. When it comes to a lot of the like the composition videos or or demos that I do for Soundiron, it's usually all MIDI. Um, the only time that I think I ever bounce stuff, uh, Nathan, I know he does the same thing too. Like kind of, uh, you know, like if I want to like manipulate a certain aspect of the audio or do like reversing, mm-hmm. I'll do stuff like that. Or if I want to like have something sound really glitchy, if it's just like some big like grindy synth i'll just let it play for like a bar and then i'll just chop it up or something like eh, you know get that kind of like stuttered effect or something so if i'm doing something like yeah like that then yeah but the thing about me is if i want to change something later then i have to go back to the midi change the notes <clears throat> or like change the notes that sort of thing so that's where sometimes i don't do that i think it, i think that's good for mixing if uh if you don't want to get in that whole like analysis paralysis thing of like, okay, like I got this guitar tone. It sounds great. And then later on, you're like, I hate this guitar tone. I want to mm-hmm. change it. And then you just keep doing that. Like versus just like take your DI with the, you know, with the tone, 
bounce it, make that work. Or really spend the time to get it to sound good at the source. Uh, that's always good. Because sometimes you need something that just makes it to where you can't change it anymore. Or else you'll just, you'll never finish it. Totally. And one of the easiest ways to start with a great source <clears throat> is sound iron instruments. Yeah, sound iron instruments. <laughs> On sale now. Sound iron. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, you know, like just as a, a sound designer, working for sound iron is just so fun because we have so much great source to work with. It's like, oh, I need to make a boom or something or, or some crazy like electrical effect. You know, I'll ask Mike and he'll oh yeah, we've got like source for that over here. It's like, man, I have never asked them like if they had source for something and the answer was no, basically. <laughs> it, and it's all super high fidelity. It, it's just a good time. Sampling life. That's what I do with Spencer and Glitch Hero. Yeah, I know, man. Glitch Hero is like, I think that's probably the library I tend to use most whenever I'm working on projects. I always find myself like, like I want some, some big, heavy, just impact sounds. Okay. Like I'll use shutter. Cause there's always these like, you know, these big, like I was telling you the other day, I was like, man, like this thing is crushing my mix bus because <laughs> these samples are just like these juggernaut sounds. Huh. Well, thanks man. <laughs> well, my mix bus does not thank you. Yeah, like like I said, I, I designed them to hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every time like the sound starts playing, my mix bus I hear it go ow. Yeah, <laughs> making all of those sounds was a long process, but every project was super fun. It's like a compendium of all the stuff I had produced uh, under the Juno VHS name. Um, mm. Like the first one I think was Drip, which was. Uh, I was living in Texas at the time and my wife was super into just randomly going to Goodwill and seeing what we would find. And they had all these really uh, obscure records there. You know, I was very much into synths and all that analog hype at the time. This was probably like 2012 or whatever. Um, and, and I had just gotten some really crazy expensive synth that my daughter would later throw juice all over and ruin. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That's but uh, I got drip out of it. <laughs> so I, I found some records of like locally recorded children's Sunday school sing-alongs, <laughs> for example. Yes. Like this was not like this may have been one of only a few copies of this thing ever made. It was just like some really old church that had closed down like a few miles away. And, but it had some really crazy sounds on it. So I started experimenting with feeding a live record, like playing the record uh, through the synth and manipulating it with all these crazy modulators and filters and, things like, you know, distortion, whatever. And the sound was super drippy. That was like the only way I could describe it. I thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool to have like a glitchy percussion library that was just very like soft, and like wet sounding. <laughs> I don't know. I, mm -hmm. I always liked stuff like that. Like I would listen to music, <clears throat> like glitchy music, like Ahmet Sub or Flowex. Like these guys are totally worth checking out. Uh, 
and they had a lot of these. Yeah, I don't think I've heard yeah, of those. Flowex, uh, I think that was the guy who scored that Machinarium game, um, which is really good. But uh, they they use out. all these like recorded sounds, like glass and whatever. And I just think of it as like ear candy. It's it's just very stimulating, you know, to your ears. And I, I like that. Uh, and you know, recording drip just turned into recording all the other ones. And then we smashed them together in a giant compendium. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. But uh, nice. thanks, man. That was, it was super fun to make all that stuff. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, do you guys uh, do much sound design? Or no, no, not really. It's something I've been wanting to do more of. I think it's definitely fun to take a source and just manipulate it. I haven't really done that as much as far as the music that I make. A little bit more like straight band with like sample sounds on top mm-hmm. of it. Not really. Um, but there's a uh, like guys like Mick Gordon who I had been watching a yeah, lot recently. Yeah, amazing. And it's it, like where he's talking about taking a sine wave and then like throwing it through all these crazy pedals and effects chains and stuff and just the sounds that you get from something as pure as a sine wave. I'm just like, man, like makes you want to just kind of go crazy with that. Yeah, sort of see thing. what you can get, kind of thing. Super fun. And that's the other thing with you know I love about sound design. Is, and my style of sound design is really not geared towards production because it's just kind of that uh, curated chaos philosophy again where I'll just, you know, set up some crazy LFOs modulating randomly different, like a thousand different parameters and let it record for like an hour and then just go through it and pick out the coolest sounds and then manipulate them further. And it's, it's always stuff I never would have thought of on my own. And it's like, mm-hmm. I like writing music that way too. Like back to the, the audio, you know, like yeah. when you use stuff like that, it just has built in. It's, it's free character is what I think of. Like when we do ensemble stuff, and we record expressions, you know, like natural swells and stuff. I love that stuff. It's the best. It because it again, it has all that free character in it. Uh, and when you design things around that, it just when every element has something like that, it just tends to shine through and just feel really rich and good. Like even like visual art, you know, when you're sketching, just start making blobs. See what you can do with those. Like, oh, what does that look like? I don't know. Let's let's roll in that direction. It's really gratifying to come up with something out of nothing like that, and it's usually good stuff you never would have thought of on your own. Yeah, yeah. I try to make. I try. Nathan, do you do do you do the sound design? Yeah, I try to make like a small contact instrument that's that's original for each project that I do. That's um, and sometimes it's like it's one of the main sounds, and other times it's just kind of a background instrument. But the last one I made uh, a guitar organ instrument, and it was like basically using my <laughs> electroharmonics Pog uh, with some delay and and things like that, and just triggered chords and notes. Um, and it was like you know a non-scripted, very simple contact instrument, but it had a very unique uh sound to it just like spencer was saying it's it's captured character Mm -hmm. um 
and it, it just adds a lot of like uh human element to it totally that's awesome that's cool all right well i think that pretty much wraps up this conversation for today uh it's definitely fun talking with you guys about this stuff and picking your brains uh, i definitely learned some stuff even more even though i talk to you guys all the time and also, if you do enjoy these podcasts, please make sure to spread the word. Tell your friends. If you find us on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, make sure to like us, rate us, give us a review, and let us know what you guys think. So until next time, I want to say thanks again for listening, and we will see you soon.